In October 2016, I won the Bath Flash Fiction Award with a story about the ongoing refugee crisis called One in 23. It was my first ever publication and it took me into the literary world, which was almost entirely new to me. It was painstakingly researched and done with the utmost respect, but it still troubles me whether it's a story I had the right to tell. How do we as writers negotiate issues of privilege and appropriation in our drive to document what we see? The early draft was written in 2016 as part of a piece of community theatre. The theme of the production was land. At the time, I was so affected by the stories of refugees in the news, it was almost all I could write about. Against the backdrop of the Brexit vote, with rising nationalism and increasing hostility towards refugees in the UK, I wanted to produce something that would make people hear voices of the dispossessed, to think and feel something about what was happening in the world, to drive ordinary people from their homes and into the sea with their children, when the odds were so great that they would never reach the land. I cried when I was writing it. When the play was performed, the audience cried too. A few months later, someone told me about the Bath Flash Award. I turned that part of the script into a short story and cut it to meet the word count. I was so surprised to see one in 23 on the Bath Flash Award long list that I genuinely thought it might be someone else's story with the same title until I got the email confirmation a few hours later. The night before the final results came out, I dreamed the story came third and so I had a secret weird little hope when I sat at the PC refreshing the screen the next day. When third place came up and my crazy dream hope was disappointed, I only kept on refreshing to see who come second and first out of curiosity. When my name came up in first place, the shock was intense. It was an incredible feeling and a result that's been opening doors for me ever since. But there's always been that measure of ambivalence in me, a doubt about whether I should have used the story in that way. One in 23 of those attempting to cross the Mediterranean via the most dangerous route that year, while racist bile was being spouted against refugees in our country and our government refused to help children living in the mud of the Calais jungle would drown. What I wrote was a kind of elegy written out of grief, like throwing a reef onto the water. The details were all from real people's experiences of losing the home and land they loved. I know I did the best I could. I hope I was amplifying voices that need to be heard. A few months later, I received a surprise message from the celebrated Vietnamese poet Nguyen Phan Gui Mai. She had seen the story online and she told me she wept over it. She said it was the story of her people too. She asked for permission to translate it into Vietnamese and it was subsequently published in Vietnam's top newspaper, Hanoi Mui, and included in a Vietnamese language charity anthology, along with the work of famous authors such as Gino Diaz and Margaret Atwood. Royalties from the translations are going to an educational fund for Vietnamese children from very poor backgrounds. I cried like a weirdo at pick-up time in the school playground when the congratulations over the Bailen anthology were coming in and I messaged my writer buddy to say I wanted to give the Bath Prize money to charity because the story belonged to 10,000 dead people, not me. The reality was that I'm too skint anyway and he talked me down but I can't forget that it really does belong to the 10,000 people who had lost their lives at sea trying to reach Europe at the time I wrote it and so many more since. The story I wrote has been taught in universities and on writing courses, and people have said it has had an impact on them.
The anthology fundraiser is undoubtedly a wonderful thing. Maybe these things justify its telling. I don't know. One in 23. Our land was beautiful. You should have seen the cherry blossom in the springtime. The foot of our mountain was clothed in it. And the sweetness of the figs in autumn, there is nothing like it anywhere. Figs were our country's first gift to the world. Anzuki, Halabi, Buxati, Obied. Such poetry there is in the names, and in the soft, ripened flesh, you could taste the warmth of the sun that falls on the land of my grandfather's fathers. We burnt the trees to keep our child from dying of cold the winter after the power went down. My husband wept as he carried the branches from the orchard, but the snows were coming and we had nothing left to burn. He spared one. The last fruit was ripe on its branches and the leaves had almost gone the day the rebels took him away. I took my son to my sister in the city, but then the bombs came. They fell on the library, on the marketplace, on the internet cafe at the corner of the next street, on the hospital, on the people who were fleeing from the hospital. Our lives compressed the 12 metre span of this boat. I called my son Ocean because once I loved the sea. Now our land lies scorched and turned towards the earth and 10,000 have fallen like leaves beneath these waters. Did you know that the fig is not really a fruit? No, it is a flower that has turned in on itself so that all of the beauty and goodness lies hidden on the inside. All the colour that could in another life have become bright petals is wrapped in darkness, away from the world. But it is in there. It is in there.